This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 259. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, joined today by Mr. Producer Matthew Marister. Hey, man. It's always good to be here and got a bunch of people, the usual suspects, chiming in in the chat. So it's good to be here. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Uh, some of you folks must not have a life or something, <laughs> you know, like watching and or listening to every episode of, the, of this fine establishment <laughs> <laughs> it's humbling it's definitely we appreciate it for sure for sure greatly 259 episodes that means uh in a little while uh, the next episode will will be recorded as episode 260 crazy stuff man mm-hmm. a lot of folks joining us on facebook today that's great appreciate your support on facebook and for those of you that do not do the facebook thing and listen only well we are so glad you are here too and uh those on facebook are able to comment and interact with us live but uh, those of you listeners only after the fact always feel free to hit us up at podcast at concealedcarry.com we definitely want to hear from you so today's episode being it is our early part of the week episode. Usually these are recorded on Tuesday, but it's actually today is Wednesday, September 26th. Uh, We're day late because we had some things come up yesterday with work um, and just made it really difficult to try to squeeze in the the episode yesterday. Uh, So we are here. We've got some great news stories lined up. We got some legislative updates. We got some other news. We got justified save stories. We have what nots to do. Great stuff coming up here today, but first, today's episode is sponsored and made possible because of your support of these fine companies and or products. First up, ConcealedCarry.com's very own, I'm calling them High Contrast Targets, because that sounds a heck of a lot better than like the official name that they're listed under on our site, which is like Adhesive Reactive (laughs) Targets from ConcealedCarry.com. Lame, boring. You know what, Jacob, if you're listening to this after the fact, buddy... Um, I don't know whether you, whether you love me or not, bro. But uh, but perhaps you know because because I'm always like when he's not on the show, I'm I'm, I'm getting little digs at him, right? <laughs> so so here's the next dig. That name sucks, bro. I've already told him that. <laughs> Did so, he come up with that? We didn't know what to call him. We just got you know. Uh-huh. So we 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 uh, established this relationship with this company that is able to manufacture these targets for us. And we're like, these are cool targets. We're gonna put our own logo on them, and we're gonna sell them, and we're gonna sell them for a really great, reasonable price. Uh, more reasonable, I think, than many of the competing similar tar- targets out there. You know, these are the, the classic. Peel- I say classic. I don't know how long they've been around, but you know, this is the peel and stick variety that you peel off a backer, stick it on a target board, and uh, you, you, you impact the target, and they, they, they're high visibility, right? Like, they, mm-hmm. they, they're black surface. See the impacts. Right, yeah. So, mm-hmm. now, these ones are not um, as, like, some of the targets out there, like, definitely, like, the material that's on them, the, the black part of the surface, like, is super flaky. So, like, you hit them, and, like, not only makes a hole, but then makes, like, this massive crater of, of bright fluorescent paint. We decided we didn't really like that uh, because sometimes you can get such big impacts that uh, you actually can, it's hard to see sometimes like follow-up shots because you end up just like blasting this whole target uh, to, 
you know, a bunch of fluorescent, you know, huge dots. So kind of wanted to be somewhere in the middle of, we wanted that high contrast visibility, but also not too much of it. And we wanted more importantly than, than anything, really, really high quality adhesive. Cause I've seen some of these other targets out there that you peel and like, if the backer that you're putting them on is not perfectly clean and stuff like they won't even stick all that great sometimes they're not very uh resist resistant to temperature you know hots or colds and the our targets perform great in all conditions and are are hot that's I'm, that's why i'm calling them the high contrast targets because they are indeed high contrast but you know what you listeners of the podcast maybe you can help us rename them <laughs> <laughs> Oh shoot! I think Jacob had some like labels printed for him or something. Oh boy! Yeah, so I think I think the labels like reactive targets or something. But anyway, hey, if you guys have a better idea for a name, I don't know, hit us up. Anyway, <laughs> okay. Next sponsor is Pig Lube, uh, who's been a sponsor in the past, and it's been a while. So after a hi- hiatus, uh, we love Pig Lube. Had a long working relationship with Pig Lube since the very beginning. Actually, they reached out to us when they were first launched as a, as a product. Um, they're still, you know, definitely a small player in the lubrication and cleaning uh, industry as far as you know gun products go. Um, but they make really, really good quality stuff. The the lube is unlike anything else I've worked with, and I've used a lot of different lubes. I love the Pig Lube lubrication. Um, they also have some cleaning products. They have a uh, it's a spray cleaner thing. It's a liquid um, that works really great. Doesn't leave nasty, oily, whatever uh, residue. It, it it just it feels like you're working with water, but yeah, but but not water that's going to rust your gun. You know, like when mm-hmm. you're done cleaning it. So it's a solvent that just is really nice to work with. And they also have a gel solvent, which is really really cool, uh, kind of innovative as well. So anyway. Pig Lube, a sponsor of today's episode as well. Concealedcarry.com forward slash Pig Lube to find that product and more. And uh, once again, the link for the uh, targets, actually, I don't know if I gave the link, is concealedcarry.com forward slash CC targets. All right. So we appreciate uh, your support of those sponsors of this episode today. And with that, it is, well, it would normally be time for us to get into the uh, case of the week from Andrew Brinka. But Andrew informed us uh, that there is unfortunately no case of the week this week. And so we apologize for that. Uh, has something somewhat to do with the webinar that was put on last week. And there was just so much uh, time and effort that went into that, that it uh, kept uh, Andrew from being able to record and put together a case of the week for this week. But we'll be, we will be back on track with that next week. All right. So I'm sorry for those of you looking forward to that, but uh, uh, it's only two episodes, man. You know, as far as you only got to wait two episodes. All right. Okay. So um, let's get into our news stories. First up. For sure. First up. Emma Land reports. And this is uh, this is an interesting situation that it's not like it happens every day, but does happen somewhat often. You know, like we, I see a story like this once every, mm, I don't know, two or three times a year. Right. Well, and so here's the story. I'm 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 holding out on y'all. Police shot, wounded at wrong address. No charges for home defender in Maryland. This is written by Dean Weingarten over there at Amaland. So so here's the situation. Basically, what you have is you have a. It was actually a SWAT team. I think it was a SWAT team. Actually, mm-hmm. yeah, 
They, they, they talk about a SWAT raid further down. But anyway, yeah, so they're serving a warrant. Um, <clears throat> so they are, they actually were serving nine warrants uh, related to drug trade stuff. Okay, so they're trying to bust all these drug dealers, right? And one of the warrants had the wrong address. So what happens? Police show up at the address. They knock on the door. There's no response. So they then force open the door, which I'm assuming, pursuant to the warrant that they possess, they're able to do. And they go in, and the resident of the home did not hear the initial knocking. So by the time the police force the door open, they go in. The resident thinks he's being broken into. He grabs his gun, his shotgun, and fires at him. Uh, at least one officer fires back at least one shot. And then almost immediately, the homeowner realizes, oh my gosh, it's police. And he stops engaging, tells them to stop. Please don't shoot my, you know, he says, you've got the wrong house. Please don't shoot my daughter. And, you know, very, pretty quickly, police figure it out. Oh, okay, we're stopping. And the, the good guy, you know, he's just an innocent resident of this of this home. You know, so they, they stop shooting at each other. Unfortunately, a couple of officers were wounded in the, in the situation. But uh, interesting story. So what, what it came down to is, and what's being reported here is that there are no charges against the homeowner. And I think that sounds reasonable, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, it's a tragic story, right? Like you don't want anything like this to happen. But just – I, from my experiences, and I've written search warrants and and and, and um, got search warrants for for um, different uh, locations to go serve warrants. They're very strict on how you get a warrant. I mean, we had, you know, there's knock and notice warrants that you know you can only serve them during the daytime. Um, there's, it's very hard to get a warrant that you can serve at night. And you don't have to announce that you're coming in. And even with those uh, knock, those um, no knock, yeah, no knock warrants, you still a lot of times will announce like, "Hey, it's the police," just for situations like this, right? Um, because you are going to burst bust down the door. But like you know, I know I remember I had to describe the the like the color of the house, the numbers, how how big the numbers were on the house. I had to go and you know take pictures of the house this to show that hey, this is you know the house we're hitting. Pull like any deed uh, uh, public records of that house and see who lives there. And I mean, you have to go in depth. So these kind of mistakes, I just for me, I think it's just laziness on the part of like. The, the police or or whoever's supposed to be checking these things because there are checks and balances along the way that really should prevent this kind of stuff from happening. Um, yep. And it's tragic. Yeah, it is. Um, that's kind of the, w- the way I look at this one as well is somebody screwed up somewhere, you know, somebody yeah. did not do due diligence well enough, mm-hmm. or maybe they did. And somehow they mistranscribed the the address, but that's still an unacceptable okay. mistake. Like, you know, if, if you're looking at information or data over here on this piece of paper or this computer screen, and you're putting something over here on a warrant as you're filing, filing the, uh, the paperwork, you know, like you gotta like double check and triple check and make sure <laughs> everything's right because this is a big deal yeah. and definitely, de- definitely innocent uh, residents, uh, of homes, residences have been killed 
because of similar situations. This this is very fortunate that, yes, officers were wounded, but they're going to be okay. The resident was not wounded. And in the end, you know, and the chief, the police chief apologized. Hey, we're really sorry. Um, not sure if an apology is enough. (laughs) I don't know. You know, like that's pretty, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a messed up deal. A lot of times of these, a lot of times these types of cases, uh, unless the homeowner is just like totally cool and chill about it, um, there's going to be a, some sort of, you know, lawsuit and settlement that, that results from this and totally understandable, you know, like, yeah. So I don't know. Um, I think the big takeaway is that, you know, it just underscores the importance and and the the uh, safety you have in in protecting your home. Like, you know, people say like, oh, I don't know if I I have the ability to you know shoot somebody in my home. You know, what if they're on the porch and like this is police breaking in, and even though you know they're in uniform and things like that, the you know the it's more reasonable than not to that you could say like, even if they have a a uniform, I don't know if they're really police breaking down my door. You know, it could just be a bunch of gangbangers dressed up with tack vests. Right. And so, so, I mean, the, the burden of proof to show that you did something negligent when you're defending your own home, especially when somebody bursts in the door is, is pretty, pretty tough to overcome even for, you know, police department. So, yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah. Um, obviously the no knock, uh, raid or no knock search warrant uh, issue is a controversial one. There's definitely many people that uh, don't agree with them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I am kind of in, you know, my opinion has has evolved a little bit on that subject. You know, when, when I was younger and maybe not as experienced, I suppose I, I would probably like, well, they're bad guys, you know, like, you know, whatever. I don't care. I, I am definitely sort of I've migrated more over to not really a fan of no knock raids. Mm-hmm. Um I think in the civilian world, yeah, you, you might be dealing with really bad dudes, really bad, dangerous, violent uh criminals or drug dealers or whatever. But I kind of have to look at it and think there's got to be like the the answer can't always just be uh we're going to just you know show up and bust through their front door at 3 a.m. Like, right. like there's other ways of taking people down. Take them in a traffic um, stop or, you know, yeah, well, like, say leave the, it's, it's, I, it's always safer. I, I think, I, I, I think it's also, you talked about laziness with maybe filling out paperwork, uh, warrants and whatnot. Uh, I also think it's a little bit lazy to do a no knock raid, uh, as far as, you know, if the department hasn't already exhausted all options as far as surveillance and looking for an opportunity to take that person down in a more suitable uh, situation or time of day or whatever it is. Um, But I wouldn't necessarily say I would totally rule out the concept because... An extreme situation. Because I definitely think, yeah, that, that there could be super, like, really rare extreme situations where it could be warranted. But I think that that's, that's the key word is it's got to be rare and it's got to be the like exception by far and not something that is normally done. And definitely there's been a trend in the last decade or two to where, you know, more and more of these, especially drug task forces will, will do these no knock raid type approaches. Um, So anyway, 
the, the, I think we, we, we got to be focused on lessons learned for concealed carriers and self-defense-minded people. And you kind of touched on it, and I would definitely reiterate that, that uh, someone – like here, here's, the, here's the key takeaway for me from this story. And this homeowner, I think, did an exemplary job. They thought they had an intruder. They had. They thought they had somebody busting through their door, and so they felt the need to defend themselves and their family. Totally the right. I think that's the absolute right call. But what they did well, and this is the lesson for all the rest of us, is that they they didn't just start firing and then just continue to fire blindly. Meaning, mm-hmm. like, and by blindly, I don't mean turning their head or closing their eyes and just shooting away. I mean shooting just to shoot and not really looking closely at what what's the situation and what they're shooting at and if there is Mm -hmm. still need if there is still a threat and a need to continue firing and in this case identifying that oh wait i'm shooting at cops and i guarantee you if he continued to shoot at them they would have put him down and his life would be ended so that's the big lesson to be learned here mistakes can be made and uh i'm on both sides uh, but as far as us just identify the threat and Stop shooting a threat when you recognize it is not a threat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So moving on. Some legislative updates. Uh, we got a story out of Nevada. Um, this is the 2016 uh, proposition, I think it was, or initiative. I don't, you know, it depends on the state sometimes what they call it exactly, too. But uh, so back in 2016, November 2016, uh, same election as Donald Trump, uh, Nevada was voting on this initiative uh, by the voters to basically close the uh, background check loophole thing. Okay. So require all firearm transfers to have a background check, including private party. You know, I want to sell a gun to my neighbor who I know is a decent dude and he really likes my, you know, 12 gauge or whatever. Well, and that's the situation we have here in Colorado as there, as there are a number of other States as well, the same, in the same boat now, where all all transfers you've got to go basically a lot of a lot of cases it means you got to go to a dealer because a lot of times it's the dealer that is only set up to be able to do this and so it adds more headache and time and effort and cost because no dealer does it for free so Nevada voted in November 2016 by a slim like one percent or less margin by the people, and I think the people were swayed by some persuasive and not always telling the truth uh, advertising by gun control uh, advocacy groups, uh, and they just barely voted that into law. But the problem with this initiative was that the wording was such that it made it potentially difficult to enforce. The, is- the issue at hand was that uh, the the governor and the attorney general basically looked at it and said, look, according to the way we read this law, it's saying that we have to use the federal government's background check system and that they've got to be the ones that enforce this whole thing. Uh, and we can't force the government to do this. So mm-hmm. up to this point in Nevada, Nevada, like a few other states, like here in Colorado, some states, the state itself takes on the burden of doing background checks for gun purchases. Uh, and they have to meet certain kind of rules and guidelines as it relates to the ATF. Um, as you know, like they, they, they can do it, but they got to do it 
you know, in a certain way that complies with, with regulations. And so a handful of states do that. Nevada was one of those, but this law would have perhaps changed that in such a way. So anyway, it came down to the voters voted in, in a law that the governor and the attorney general didn't feel like it could be enforced. And now this is being taken to uh, court, uh, to the Nevada Supreme Court, where uh, they're trying to basically force the state to move forward with this law. So anyway, that's kind of the issue at hand. I I don't know what more to say about it. Matthew, any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, you, you summed it up. I don't have really much to add. It's just that struggle going back and forth, like a, a, a bunch of things. And uh, it takes time, it takes money and all that stuff. And for the outcome, what are you going to get in the uh, in, at the end? At the end of this, if it passes, if it doesn't, like, you know, are, is it going to, solve anything is it going to make anything safer if it is i guess it's worth it but it's probably not so yeah it's a, it's a lot of money wasted you uh, know sean here has a has a good comment he says at least the people got to vote the safe mm-hmm. act was dumped on us in new york and yeah that's so true you know um but yeah that is kind of hard to argue with you know that the, if the people voted something like that in then you know there you go um yeah I'm not super fond of voter-driven initiatives or pro- or or propositions where a simple majority wins, but that is how most of the time they are set up. Because I don't, you know, there is that part of me that well, we are a democratic republic, are we not? Right. But uh, you know, doesn't doesn't necessarily mean the majority always rules. Because sometimes the majority ruling is not always the not always the best thing either. Anyway, um, you know, I guess. The other thing I would say is that uh, so often what we see on this issue, you know, the, the, the issue of background checks, which I believe are majorly flawed, uh, I believe don't necessarily work in a lot of instances. They, you know, they they keep, you know, it's a law that keeps the 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 good people, the good guys, good guys, right? Like mm-hmm. it keeps the good guys being good guys. The bad guys will find ways around that no matter what you do in that regard. Um, are there some guns that make it in the hands of bad guys because of a private party sale that is not background checked? Yeah, that's probably true. But is it a large number? Probably not. I guarantee you probably there's way more guns that are, that are stolen out of cars and out of homes than probably what makes it into bad guys' hands through like more traditional means. And that's actually... This could almost be a story on the podcast today, but just recently I saw a story here in Denver. The uh, Denver Police Department is really asking for the public's help to try to prevent fire or yeah firearm thefts because this year there's been this like rash of firearm thefts from vehicles and also from homes, and a lot of time because firearms are not being stored uh, securely. Yeah, and uh, you know so. Anyway, there's been like hundreds of firearms stolen in Denver just this year. That's that's an issue. And, and, and you know it's an issue when the police department can also tell you that they've already found and recovered some of those guns that were stolen just this year at crime scenes and through arrests, you know, that they've made just recently. So those those are guns that are stolen. They, they go straight into the hands of criminals. They're being used in crimes. And uh, yeah, that's why I'm definitely a big proponent of responsible storage and, and secure keeping of firearms. Absolutely. So, anyway, 
Next up, Delaware Gun Rights. This is the Delaware, the, the organization is called Delaware Gun Rights. Okay, so there's an organization there, and they are firing back at lobbying efforts for another assault weapons ban. How closely have you been following this story, Matthew? I have not um, been following it too closely. But so you're the one I, that dropped it in the in the show notes. So that's my hint to you that you're going to talk about it, bro. Oh, got it. Okay. So, <laughs> sorry, I'm trying to pull it up right now. Um, yeah, I haven't followed this too closely as far as the backstory on it. Um, but uh, there's uh, the Coalition Against Gun Violence uh, calling on lawmakers to introduce another ban on assault weapons next season. So, you know, basically this is a back and forth that, that's been going on between um, the Delaware, um, the anti-gunners there, which there are majorly funded ones in that whole area and um and people that don't want their guns taken away so this is going back and forth so they've struck down one uh kind of uh you know proposal that happened earlier in the year and now they're trying to uh um, pass pass it again saying hey let's do it again they're just going to continue to do it until somebody just i guess backs down and, and caves in and gives uh gives up but uh you know they, they were um it was struck down and like, like, uh, what is it? Sean said, because, you know, there were inconsistencies in it, the people didn't want it, but they're just going to continue to cram it, you know? And so, um, it's probably something I should stay on top of a little bit more so I can tell you guys what's, what's going on in the future. <laughs> but at this point, um, all, all good, bro. It just comes yeah. down to that, uh, Denver, Den Denver, Delaware gun rights, the organization, this is a pro gun organization is uh, stepping up. You know, they're trying to they're they're trying to be proactive, recognizing that it is likely that a push for assault weapon ban is going to come again soon. And I commend them for this because sometimes I actually I would say a lot of the time we pro gun people and some of our organizations as well, we tend to be very reactive to a lot of what happens on these gun related issues meaning right. that like when there's not really anything going on there's not any uh you know active anti-gun agenda being pushed in a whether it's our state legislature legislatures or at the federal level we tend to kind of like okay things are cool you know we're just gonna because that's how we are i think most of us tend to live our lives in a way we just want to we just want to live our lives and be free and not bug other people um, you know, so if, if there's not an, an active agenda being pushed or some sort of law that's being pushed for, then we'll tend to kind of like, okay, cool. Like just going to be free, man, <laughs> you know? And then it's only, it's when that the, the anti-gun side starts, you know, organizing and mobilizing and pushing, then we're left to react to go, oh shoot, like these guys are trying to pass this this new gun control law, this new assault weapons ban, this new background check, you know, universal background check law, whatever it is. And then then we're sort of we're reacting to what they're doing. Right? Mm -hmm. Now that's I'm not this is a generalization. It's true. There's definitely times where uh, gun rights groups and activists uh, proactively push for, you know, I mean, we were doing this a couple years ago, right? When we were trying to get passed through the, through Congress, the, uh, uh, oh crap, what was it called? The uh, Safe Safe Hearing Act or what was it? Oh, the, yeah, It was yeah, the yeah. suppressor bill, right? Mm -hmm, to right. Uh, basically take suppressors out of the NFA. And, uh, you know, so that was awesome, but it didn't happen, unfortunately. 
and so anyway, now there's a lot of anti-gun stuff happening. Uh, we, we, you know, I I, I commend uh, Delaware uh, gun rights for trying to make sure they're they're ahead of the curve and push continuing to push for gun rights and not only waiting for the challenge that will come. Yep. Okay. Yeah, you got, I mean, you got to eventually go on the offense, right? Yeah. Yep. Here's an interesting article uh, from fee.org. And fee is an organization stands for Foundation for Economic Education. So this is interesting because this is not what I would consider to be a usual source for this type of article, right? right? This is the Foundation for Economic Education, but yet this is a gun control slash gun rights sort of article. Here's the title. How to Spot Misleading Statistics in the Gun Control Debate. Um, oh, I just realized I skipped a story. We'll come back to that in a minute. So let's talk about this. <clears throat> How to spot misleading statistics in the gun control debate. The question should not be, do guns prevent crime? The question should be, are guns useful at resisting crime is the is the subheadline. Uh, this is written by a gentleman by the name of Tim, hmm, looks like an Asian name, Tim Hisao. We'll go with that. Uh, apparently he is... Uh, an instructor of philosophy and humanities. Once again, this is kind of not your usual suspect as far as uh, I was really surprised when I saw uh, where this article was posted and also the, the author behind it, but it's a pretty, pretty good article. Here's his point. He says a lot of times when we are um, talking about, when we are debating the gun issue, gun control versus gun rights, uh, and we are throwing out all these statistics and studies. Both sides do it, right? John mm-hmm. Lott is very famous and well-known for pushing you know, all of these pro-gun rights statistics. And we've got Mayor, former Mayor Bloomberg, Michael Bloomberg, and his organizations pushing all of their st- statistics and bullcrap. And, uh, and Tim's point here is sometimes we're, we're not always arguing over the right thing in, in the right way or, or analyzing the statistics in the right way. So a lot of times we talk about how on the pro-gun side uh, that gun ownership and you know ex- expounding uh, or expanding gun rights, concealed carry and so forth, that that can have an impact on preventing crime, on lowering the crime rates, Right. And there are some studies that I think do show that, okay, um, in, in, in a number of ways. There's definitely plenty of instances where increased gun control – now, causation is always a tricky thing to figure out, right? Like, we don't always know. But there's definitely – there are definitely, you know, instances where we see high gun control uh, cities or locations and very, very high crime, right? Mm-hmm. Chicago would be a great example. Washington, D.C. would be a great example. But to be fair, there are also cities where they are in states such as Missouri. St. Louis is a great example. St. Louis has a terrible crime rate. Uh, Houston would be another one. Terrible crime rate. But they're in pretty free states as far as gun laws are concerned, right? So it, it you know... I don't mean to get way off into the weeds here, but Tim's point here is we shouldn't be so focused on whether the gun prevents a crime, but how effective are guns at resisting or stopping crimes from being committed or that are being committed, okay? Right. And the science 
is, and this shouldn't come as no shock to anybody, the science is incredibly clear on that point, all right? He then lists a number of, well, actually, let me quote something from him to, to illustrate, the points, in case I didn't make it clear. He said that, um, this is a really interesting example. He said to illustrate the difference, okay, to talk to illustrate the, this difference of whether a gun is effective at preventing or resisting crime, he says, let's suppose I encounter a mugger while taking a walk. I brandish my firearm to the mugger who is undeterred and rushes me with a knife. I then shoot the mugger, stopping the crime. In that situation, my gun has failed to prevent a crime, but it was successful at resisting that crime. Mm -hmm. The gun was an effective and reasonable means of self-defense, even though it failed to, at least initially, deter the would-be mugger. Okay? This is a very crucial point that must be carefully appreciated. Even if guns don't prevent crime by reducing the overall crime rate, it wouldn't mean that guns are not a reasonable means of resisting crime. As far as gun rights are concerned, the single most important issue is simply the question of whether guns do a good job when deployed against a criminal assailant. Deterrence is not the key issue at stake. Now, he acknowledges that there may be deterrence that, that occurs because of the presence or you know the 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 theoretical presence or the known presence or possible presence of guns, right? So in other words, he he's, he he acknowledges that could there be you know places where crime rates decrease because gun ownership, concealed carry permits, all that stuff increases? Yeah, he acknowledges that's a possibility, but that shouldn't be our like number one main focus because it's not something that we can easily prove. Are you with me on this, Matthew? You follow yeah, me, bro? Yeah, it's, it's, it, it, it's just trying to link causation to to either having guns or not having guns. Yeah. Like they're they're trying to link two things, and you can link them both ways. Like, yeah. and obviously, what he's saying, you know, like, you, and, and you you uh, you know reiterated that you, you the pro gun sides we pick out cities that have weak gun or big gun control, bad statistics of crime. And then the other side says, well, there's cities that, you know, like you said, everyone can own a gun and crime is through the roof. So which one is it, you know, and that's, that's the wrong argument yep. to be having. Yep. We should be looking at, you know, um, the fact that um, he shoots the mugger in this, you know, example that he's talking about, that's still a crime. That's still a crime statistic. So that city's still going to have a crime stat and there's still going to be a stat of a shooting, right? Like a mm. gun, uh, gun violence, right? They're not going to piecemeal that out and say it's it's a justified shooting. They just tally it up in the shooting column. So if you're just looking at statistics, raw statistics like that, and yep. trying to cause a causation of how safe are you and how safe are you, you can't. You have to look at what does the gun do in the context of the assault or the crime. That, and that is... That is really a great point you made there, and he does touch on that in his article as well. But yeah. I think you, I think you actually even worded that a little bit better, as far as if gun ownership and concealed carry permits increase in a city, it it is theoretically possible or or even likely that the crime rates would also increase uh, potentially because of uses of guns preventing you know stopping crimes. But yet the uses of those guns 
still being counted in statistics. Even, yeah. Yeah. So that's that's actually, and that's that's totally true and totally valid because I'll tell you, I know how the, the crime statistics here in Denver work, and that is definitely the case. Like, regardless if it's a self defense, I'm I'm not saying that if you used a gun in self defense that you are that you are a criminal, right? Like, you may not even be charged, but there will still be a report in Denver's database that shows a shooting occurred at such and such time, such and such location, and will be counted as a shooting. Yeah. And if that person survives, um, they're going to be arrested on a burglary charge or assault charge, right? So yeah. there's a crime stat for that as well. And so I yeah. think um, to, to draw, you know, equivalencies between the number of crimes and the number of guns and say this equals this is, is it's, it's grossly misunderstanding the nuances of what it, totally. what it you know, goes into it. And anybody who listens to the podcast or, or sits down and thinks about it and says, if I'm being assaulted by somebody with a, uh, that wants to cause great bodily injury to me and I can't stop them physically because they are overpowering and I have a firearm, that would be an effective way to stop that assault. I mean, yep. it just, it's, it, so, um, I think that's more of like what he was trying to say yep. in, in this whole well, story. And he provides several great examples of studies that show that, I mean, like I said, this should not come as a surprise to any of our people, but studies that show that guns are effective at stopping bad guys. All right. 1993, a study published in the Journal of Quantitative Criminology found that out of eight different forms of robbery resistance, victim gun use was the re- was the resistance strategy most strongly and consistently associated with successful outcomes for robbery victims. A 2000 study published in the Journal of Criminal Justice found that men and women who resisted with a gun were less likely to be injured or lose property than those who resisted using some other means or did not resist at all. In the case of women, and this is quoting from the study, Having a gun really does result in equalizing a woman with a man, man, end quote. A 2004 study published in the journal Criminology found that out of 16 different forms of victim self-protection, a variety of mostly forceful tactics, including resistance with a gun, appeared to have the strongest effects in reducing the risk of injury. Finally, a 2010 study published in Crime and Delinquency found that resistance with a gun, and this is pretty compelling right here, decreased the odds of robbery and rape completion by 93 and 92% respectively. In other words, guns are incredibly effective at getting the intended job done. And the Tim Hisao's article here in Foundation of for Economic Education his point is a very valid one that we should perhaps consider focusing more of our attention on these types of statistics, which show that guns do in fact stop bad guys when they're needed. That's 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 cool, right? That's that's and that's what we're all that's what we're all about right here. Is that's why I carry a gun? Is if something bad were to happen to me, or more importantly, a loved one? that I can actually do something about it, that I can actually affect something in that situation. Whereas the alternative is I don't have a gun. I'm not able to possess some other defensive weapon. I mean, look at how the UK is. You can't even carry a knife. You can't carry pepper spray. You can't carry a taser. You can't carry a gun. Uh, you can't carry a kosh as they call it a stick, you know, um, you can't carry 
anything basically for self-defense purposes. Like it actually says on on British uh, police websites that anything essentially covered or carried on your person for intended self-defense purposes is not legal, which is crazy to me. So essentially defending yourself outside of your home is not okay. (laughs) You know, like, yeah. So fortunately that's not where we live. Um, but we have an anti-gun, uh, you know, agenda community, you know, that are, that would love to change all of this and turn us into a bunch of, um, who's in Whoville. Absolutely. Well, anyway, (laughs) tell us about this story in Kent state, Kent state gun girl rally thing. Yeah. And just as a backstory, Kent state's here in Ohio. And if you're not over probably what, 35, 40 years old, you probably might, or you might not know about the Kent state shooting, um, with the national guard in like 1970, um, where the national guard actually, you know, shot, um, I forget how many, um, but, that was kind of yeah. a, that was a big, mm, yeah, that big was a, thing. That yeah. was a big cluster. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. And so it's kind of weird, not weird, but it's kind of ironic that this is where this story is coming from and it's about guns. Um, but Kent State Gun Girl, she has a, a organization um, and the organization, I forget what it's called. Uh, what is it? Right. Uh, it is Liberty Hangout. There you go. Right? Liberty Hangout. Well, and, yeah, there, there, and I think there was another group that was involved. Uh, Liberty Hangout, I think, was the main one that was involved in the organization. Yeah, and she, she was putting on, she she anyway. was um, organizing an event, which was a rally, a pro gun rally, um, at the at the university. And basically, the university stepped in and said, "No, um, you can't do that because um, you can't carry." firearms on school grounds. Well, you can, you just can't conceal them. And then they imposed uh, restrictions for her by saying, um, you're going to have to um, provide the security. So the university's not. So the university's saying, well, we're, you're, it's, we're treating it as a university event and we're going to impose these restrictions, but we're not going to provide you know, security for it. You're going to have to kind of like saying, yeah. well, it's a, it's, it's a, you know, privately run event. So they're kind of playing it on both sides. So, um, she changed it from, a, a like a rally to a walk and, um, they're going to still go on and, and do it, uh, open carry and do it the right way and, and, um, not play the, you know, the, the games with the university, um, you know, and so it's good to see, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of open carry. I like, I, I don't, uh, it's not a secret, but the fact is, is they are standing up for the, for their gun rights in a, in a constructive and responsible way. They're not gathering around, like, you know, going into, into businesses and forcing them, like, you know, you have to accept me and it, it's, they're doing it the right way, not a menacing people. And I think it's a good showing for the gun community. So, yeah. Now by you saying you're not really a fan of open carry, I just want to clarify that because I'm pretty sure I understand you, bro. But uh, you are uh, not a fan of the practice right, of open right. carry, but you are definitely a fan of the right. Yeah, like you have the right. Awesome. Like I, 
you know, I, I'm also a fan of the First Amendment and freedom of speech, but I'm not a fan of going out and yelling obscenities at, you know, kids on a school bus or, you know, going to grade school. How about, you know, how about yelling with, profanities at uh, our representatives and, and senators, yeah, you know, right. at a restaurant when they're trying to have a meal with their wife? Yeah, right. So, I mean, I'm a fan of the, 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 Ted the Cruz, liberty, anybody? right? Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. But like sometimes, you know, it, just because you have the right to do something doesn't mean you should. And and so I, that, so I'm glad you clarify that because I don't want to get hate mail and <laughs> you're, you're against you're against the Second Amendment. No, I'm not. I'm not. Well, well, we're on the same page on that. Right. And um, Greg Elifritz, uh I've talked about him before over at uh, Active uh, or not Active. Uh, active Self-Protection. No, 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 no that's uh, John Korea. I get that, you know, their, their names are kind of similar, right? Active response training, I think is. Yeah, I think so. is that it. I I yeah, always get it's those. active response yeah. training. Yeah, there you go. Um, Greg Elifritz wrote a really really great article the other day uh, called uh, well something about open carry and he was saying it's dumb, right? Don't 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 open carry because as a tactic, uh, and I I don't we are in agreement on this. Like, it, and he he lists like so we did a similar article once or maybe I think we even did a podcast episode and we only highlighted like five or eight um, open open carry issues where somebody like had their gun taken from them or you know that kind of thing um, or they became a target of a crime because they were carrying openly. He lists like twenty or thirty <laughs> of these you know incidents um, and that that's uh, pretty co- pretty compelling I think as far as like, if you're going to open carry. Uh, it, it does increase your risk of you of something bad happening to you, basically because you're open carrying, right? Like, mm-hmm. so anyway, we we can talk about that all day long. I, you know, I've said again and again and again, if you want to open carry, like more power to you. Knock yourself out. It's not for me from a tactical perspective. Okay. Um, if I'm going to carry openly, it's because I'm wearing a badge or something, right? Um, which already means you got a target on your back. But mm-hmm. anyway, um, so this Kent State thing, there's there's a, a paragraph here in this article on cleveland.com that uh, I, I had to point at because it's really confusing policy, in my opinion, right? So <clears throat> they, they were trying to have this rally, right, on campus. Campus basically said, mm, you can't do that. Um, oh, unless you want to pay $14,000 for security costs. And we're not really going to let, we're not going to let you have guns. Now here's the policy. Kent state students, faculty and staff cannot carry, possess or store guns on campus per university policy. Here's what's weird. Visitors can carry openly outdoors on campus but may not carry concealed weapons. What? Yeah. <laughs> like, we are totally okay it, with visitors walking onto campus and carrying openly, but not concealed. And by golly, you better not be a student, faculty, or staff member. So, so the way I'm reading that they're getting around this is that because they can't, visitors can carry openly on campus, that... I mean, I, I'm guessing they're trying to get a lot of non-students also to participate, but right. I guess students probably will be participating because they're—I don't know. I mean, how do they? How are they going to know if you're a student or not? Right? I don't know. Yeah. Like, start off campus and walk onto campus, do your open carry demonstration, and there you go. Knock yourselves out. All right. Hey, you know what? I, I applaud groups like this. Uh, as far as 
if they are having respectful, uh, responsible dialogue and they're handling themselves in responsible ways, then they'll get my support. Um, you know, but, uh, yeah, if, if it's, but I, at the same time, I am, I'm a little bit wary of open of many times people try to do open carry demonstrations. I just don't see that it's helpful, all that helpful. Like when you show up to Starbucks with your AR slung over your back, I just don't see that that's really winning over the hearts and minds of those people that you're trying to win over. Cause guess what? The pro gun crowds are already gonna be like, Oh, cool. You know, way to bring your AR to Starbucks. The anti-gun crowd is going to flip out and the people in the middle that are the ones that you're trying to influence, I just don't think, I'm not convinced that they are going to be won over by that tact. So anyway, just things to think about and consider. All right. But it's your right to do. So whatever. (laughs) I know some people, and we get messages, you guys aren't pro second amendment enough when you say crap like this. Um, you don't know me, bro, if that's what you say about me. I am <laughs> pro Second Amendment through and through. I'm simply talking about reason and logic and responsibility and setting a good example. like Just like common sense stuff. And common sense to me says that I can walk out in front of Planned Parenthood here in Lakewood, Colorado, where I live, and stand there with my AR on public property and say, I believe in open carry and I love the second amendment. And I guarantee you not a single one of the girls walking into that planned parenthood clinic are going to be swayed by my display of that AR. And I guarantee you, I use that example specifically because we had that planned parenthood shooting here in Colorado Springs, not that long ago. And I guarantee you that's just not going to go over all that well. All right. We got to be smart about it. People. And at least appear intelligent. Now, I I followed this girl a little bit, this Caitlin, whatever, or Catlin. Her name was kind of, uh, last name is Bennett, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, I think what she's trying to do, and I think the way she's going about it, I think generally is pretty good, pretty smart. I like seeing these young people, too, really getting involved in this way. It's really cool. Yeah. Here's kind of a what not to do sort of thing, okay? Um, it, it definitely is. Uh, we didn't officially put it in our what not to do story list, but it basically is. 14-year-old boy accidentally killed by target shooter. Um, Brian, one of our writers, posted this on our uh, Utah uh, website yesterday. Um, 14-year-old boy was riding along in his family's car, okay? They had uh, gone up into the mountains, into the hills, to uh, view the fall colors, which everything is changing now in the kind of Rocky Mountain region. Beautiful time of year. Um, So they were doing what a lot of other families do. While they are traveling along this road, a bullet uh, came into the vehicle, struck the young boy in his head, and unfortunately he died. The bullet came from a group of target shooters several hundred feet away who were shooting, but unaware that downrange from them was this road. They couldn't see it due to trees and, and bushes. Uh, they couldn't see the vehicle as it traveled on that road. Uh, they were just unaware that where they were shooting, and I believe this took place on public uh, land. Now, those of you unfamiliar with things out here out west, uh, you know, especially in the Rocky Mountain region, Colorado, Wyoming, Idaho, Utah, even Arizona, New Mexico, California, Nevada. I mean, th- 
basically the, the whole West, there's all kinds of public lands, right? Many of those are managed by BLM. Some are managed by a forest service, but we have millions of acres of BLM land and rarely is shooting restricted on BLM land. Forest service can be a little bit more restrictive sometimes, um, but so often free-loving, gun-loving Americans out here in the West go out and BLM land someplace and have a good old time shooting. We just hope it happens responsibly. And we have an instance here where, unfortunately, somebody didn't do enough due diligence to understand that where they were shooting, that downrange that way was a road. And that resulted in this 14-year-old boy losing his life. Yeah, it's tragic. Super tragic. A uh, family just trying to enjoy themselves on a Sunday, and uh, now they, they've they've they're having a funeral, right? So the big lesson learned, right? Like if this is you, if you if you enjoy going out on public lands or anywhere for that matter, it doesn't really matter. But like the the rule is, we got to know what is. I, I always teach it this way. First of all, as a self defense minded shooter, I need to be aware of my of my environment and my target's environment and everything between us, right? And so that the way I actually define, I need to be, you know, being aware of your target environment is I'd actually define that as being everything around and between me and my target and around it. Okay. That's the way I teach the concept. And the reason I teach it that way is because why do I need to be concerned about my environment? Because I'm handling a dangerous weapon. Okay, and so I need to be aware of things around me. If a child or an animal were to run, you know, downrange or in front of me, if somebody were to startle me and I have an unexpected reaction because of that, because I'm holding this gun in my hand, whatever, like I need to make an effort to be aware of my environment and everything between me and my target and my target's environment. And then I include in that target environment because of the nature of projectiles. Target environment does not mean we draw like this perimeter, this this three hundred or this this perfect circle, this diam uh, this uh, circumference around our target area. Like we don't say target environment is defined as one hundred round or one hundred yard diameter around this or radius around this target. Like that's too specific and too stupid. In my de- dictionary, target environment means is there anything downrange? Okay in the direction of my target and especially beyond that target because of the nature of the projectile that includes my target environment includes everything beyond that target. So that's how I teach it. And that's what it's got to be. And you pull off a road someplace up in the mountains, you think, Hey, this looks like an okay place to shoot. Um, well, you need to do some due diligence and make sure that it's actually an okay place to shoot. I was fortunate a few years ago, I had, I was camping with some of my children and they wanted to do some shooting and we were just out in the wilderness someplace. And I was like, well, it looks like we could probably shoot here. Um, but you know what kids, let's walk down range. Let's make sure that this actually is a safe direction and a safe place to shoot. And we walked down range, uh, probably about 200 yards or so, maybe 300 and discovered a little trail that we were unaware of that uh, due to the nature of that trail and, and evidence along it that you could tell was frequented by hikers. And boy, I, I, I am scared to think what could have happened had we decided this, you know, cause basically what we had was, was our campsite 
and sort of an open meadow and then a, a mountainside sort of, you know, thing. And on the other side of that meadow were these trees and the trail was sort of concealed, you know, went along the, the side of that mountain and in those trees. So yeah, it's scary. You got to do the due diligence, man. We got have yeah. a lot of great comments coming in from uh, Facebook viewers too. Matthew, as we were prepping the show today, you had some good tips. I think for you know, uh, you mentioned one thing in particular that I thought was a really smart idea. I don't. You were talking about looking at satellite imagery. Yeah, and Sean nailed it too. Um, in the comments, he said, you know, with today's technology, it's easy to look at a satellite view of the area to make sure you're not shooting in the wrong direction. I mean that, you know. So we have the four safety rules and Doyle, you said, yeah, it's important to know your target, what's behind it. Right. Um, but you have to apply, like you said, you apply common sense to the rule, right? Like you can't just look at this narrow, like what is directly behind my target? Well, nothing. So I'm good to go. Well, no, you got to like kind of apply some common sense and say, if I were to shoot, like maybe a little bit this way or a little bit this way, is it going to strike somebody? Oh, maybe it will. Or I'm out in the middle of nowhere. I have no idea. It's not like I'm shooting into the side of a mountain, right? Like it's a quarry and you, and, and you can't, you know, there's no possible way that you can shoot anything on the other side. Well, maybe pick out your phone and say, look, where am I? Okay. It's going to pull it up, pull up a little. Okay. Yeah. There's, you know, there's homes down there, it, you know, it drops down and there's homes or there's, I mean, yep. you might not be able to see past like in your, your situation. Right. But like, at least you're doing some due diligence and making some common sense say, saying, well, I'm just not going to look and say, well, I can't see what's beyond the tree line. So it must be safe because I can't see that there's anything beyond there that's, you know, I shouldn't shoot. So I'm good to go. And so, you know, use some common sense. Yep. It, it, it's just, it, it, this person's probably not going to be charged, right? And but that's that's not even the case, right? It's like that doesn't even matter. It's like think about what this guy has to go through. You know, you just shot a fourteen-year-old boy and killed him. Think about you know, like I don't care if it's if you're legally, you know, I was I I didn't know. It doesn't matter. Like that boy is still dead, and that's on you. So put in some common sense and due diligence to make sure stuff this like this doesn't happen. I'm not blaming the guy saying he's a bad guy that the, the guy who shot him, you know, but like, man, yep. do you think, think when you're out there. Yep. All right, man. Good lesson learned for, for all of us. Okay. So let's be responsible gun owners and shooters and all that stuff. Story on the Washington post. Uh, this made its rounds on uh, social media last week. Uh, boy, when I first saw this video, it was sure. it was shocking to me. Right? <laughs> now, I'm I'm not going to go into great detail on this because um, I, I I would like to actually break this down. Uh, mm -hmm. Matthew, you suggested that. I was already kind of thinking along those same lines, and I'm actually wondering if it'd be okay uh, to you know. Typically, we would record tomorrow's podcast tomorrow. Um, because it's Thursday, but there's tomorrow's a lot going on. Uh, and I'm, I'm actually wondering if you might be okay with recording tomorrow's podcast after we're done with this one today. I'm all for it. Cool. <laughs> Maybe we'll even get Jacob involved. We'll see. I'll, see. I'll ping cause. him and see if he's available and we'll have like a good three-way on this, this situation in Abilene, Texas. Okay. So Washington Post reports men who allegedly shot neighbor in mattress dispute arrested again after video surfaces. So not going to spend a ton of time here, but this is a great example of what not to do. Quick summary of the story goes that basically you have a man, his last name is uh, 
Howard. We'll just refer to him as Howard. Aaron Howard is his name. Howard dumps a mattress in a dumpster uh, located near his property and his neighbor's property. His neighbor is uh, John Miller, and John has a son named Michael Miller. So you have the, the two Millers, father and son duo, and then you have Aaron Howard, and he's there also with his wife. Okay. Um, and basically, Howard dumps a mattress in a dumpster. For some reason, that bugs John Miller. Miller removes the mattress, throws it on Howard's property. Howard goes and sticks it back in the dumpster, and this is where you get this altercation. Mm-hmm. You have Miller standing there with a handgun, and when the video begins, we don't see what got us up to this point. Um, we only see from the beginning of the video that the two, the well, really the three men arguing, the two main players, the father, John Miller, and Mr. Howard, and Miller's got a handgun in his hand just down at his side. Uh, his son, Michael, has got a shotgun just sort of resting on his shoulder, and he's kind of in the background, all right? And there's this really nasty all you know discussion going on. Um, Howard, eventually, you know, he, say, he tells them, shoot me, kill me. He also tells them that he's going to kill them. Uh, Miller says, you come any closer, I will shoot you. Uh, so that's basically the situation. You have a standoff between a couple of big time egos. That's where, that's what, that's what's going on here. A couple of guys that just were not willing to back down over a stupid mattress. Yeah. It's the result ridiculous. is that John Miller, um, uh, well, in the video, it makes it unclear, but apparently Howard does, in fact, approach Miller. Miller pulls up his gun, shoots uh, Howard. The son, Michael, also gets involved and with a shotgun and also shoots uh, Howard. Uh, uh, an autopsy showed that uh, Howard did um, die as a result of injuries from a from pistol bullets as well as from the shotgun blast. This is a a tragedy, and it is also dumb, a real dumb. So, um, yeah, I think we're gonna do an episode. We're just gonna we're gonna really talk deeply on this one because I think there's a lot of really great analysis and lessons to be learned from this. Because I really, really, sincerely hope, like I, I kind of want to think that none of the people involved in this situation were necessarily bad people. Like nobody woke up that day and thought, "I'm gonna kill me a man." You know, mm-hmm. they just got a situation where hot heads prevailed and they couldn't, couldn't overcome that. So, yep. Anyway, stay tuned after this episode of the day. I think we'll take a short break and we'll try to uh, record uh, t- tomorrow's episode today. And we're going to talk about this. Okay. Cause it's, it's a good topic. All right. Let's now get to our first justified save story, Matthew. The Eastern New Mexico News reports man claims self-defense in motel shooting. This happened in Clovis, New Mexico. Give us the details. Yeah, this is Clovis, Texas. Uh, would-be mugger, uh, a man shot a would-be mugger who came at him with a knife early Friday morning outside of Clovis Motel. Um, this man... Zion Flores, 20, of Mission, Texas, said he was in his car about 8.15 when two men came towards him, one slashing his tire with a knife. Flores said he responded by pulling a gun, firing in self-defense. He he quotes, "I I seen them coming to the window. I lowered the car window uh, and pop, 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 Flores said. Um, Fired three shots, apparently. Um, 
police and prosecutors said no arrests have been made Friday afternoon. Um, they want to complete their investigation, determine if self-defense. Um, it's not a dispute who did the shooting, obviously. Um, and so right now he hasn't uh, been arrested. The, the, uh, one of the guys ran, uh, ran away, and the other guy was found in the hospital with a bullet wound to his rear end. Um, and yeah, I like how this article describes some of that. Yeah. I mean, they have, they have a liberal group of words, I guess they can use, but anyways, um, yeah. So I just thought this was interesting because, you know, this dude, uh, sees Zeus coming and they actually slash his tire. So it's like, okay, maybe they're, they probably see him in the car. Right. And and maybe they slash his, his tires to intimidate him or, make it seem like maybe he can't get away now or something like that. And they're going to rob him. And so, you know, they do some weird stuff, but obviously, you know, somebody pulls out a knife, starts cutting your tires. You're there. It's, I mean, I, I don't know the, the thing that there's one thing that kind of worries me, not worries me, but I would see a, a potential area that you could um, attack this with. Right as far as, you know, is it a justified shooting? He says he sees them, he's seen them coming. Um, and I just lowered the car window. So I'm thinking you probably, if they only have a knife and you are in your car, why do you lower the window to kind of confront, you know what I mean? To confront them, even if they slash your tires, your car will still go. Right. Um, and so I, I don't know. I can't, I'm not judging this because there's not there's limited facts, but um, I see that as one potential like weakness in this is that you lower down the window, you could have just started your car and drove off. I mean, the worst that happens is you know you have a flat tire and they get away. Um, you know, so I don't know. I don't know how you see it, but that's kind of something that stuck out to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I I agree. Like. Uh, this is just one of those situations that just is, this is one of those things that like, you're just sitting there, you know, one day and in an instant, but before you even really realize, fully realize what's happening, it's happening. Right. And you just, right. um, this happens at eight fifteen AM. I mean, this is daylight hours. It's in the morning. I mean, you're, you're not sitting in your vehicle in a sketchy part of town at, two in the morning you're 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 sitting outside this motel at 8 15 in the morning geez i've right. done that now i don't know well i know some things about clovis new mexico in fact i know somebody from clovis new mexico um i think he would probably say that it's not the finest town but <laughs> but still i mean like this is just this is not something that you necessarily prepare for like expect you know it's I've I've been places and done things where you're like, okay, if something were to happen to me today, it might be now. <laughs> but this is maybe not necessarily one of those. So that that's kind of what I was looking at uh, in this situation, which just reiterates the need to be constantly aware and prepared to to act. You know, and this mm-hmm. guy was able to do so somehow. So some questions: Do you practice? However it is that you carry your gun in your vehicle, do you practice being able to deploy to deploy that to get it out and address a threat, whether that be to your driver's side window, your passenger side, directly in front of you? 
Do you know how to do that? And really the big thing, I asked it already, but do you practice that? I know mm-hmm. very few people that practice that. Now, a recommendation, I would recommend that you practice it safely. All right. Cert pistol works great. Okay. But if you don't typically carry with a gun that's compatible with a cert pistol as far as the holster goes, and you definitely want to practice reps, then then make sure that you do so in a safe, responsible manner and probably not in a public parking lot. You know, do it inside your garage or something where you where you're you're not gonna be pointing guns at people <laughs> or alarming anybody because you're sitting there in your vehicle drawing and presenting, you know, a gun out. That that that's probably gonna get cops called on you in, in no time flat. Um, but right. do you practice, okay? And the other thing is, where, where, where are you carrying? Where are you staging that gun in your vehicle? I prefer on the body. I think it's mm-hmm. always best. And I definitely have some strong opinions about where is best on the body um, because, yeah, it just is. So, all right. Um, you want to learn more about that? Concealedcarry.com forward slash VFT for our vehicle fire- mm-hmm. firearms tactics course. Crash in St. Paul ends with argument. Driver shot in ankle. This is quite a story here. This happened in St. Paul, Minnesota. A uh, 35-year-old man, this, uh, he's involved, and this, this occurred around 7.25 p.m. last Thursday. This man had been stopped at a traffic light when a red four-door vehicle struck his vehicle. That vehicle, the, the suspect's vehicle, kept going, and so this man followed him. The other driver suddenly stopped and exited his vehicle. The suspect got into a verbal argument with the other driver and denied striking his vehicle. Boy, that'd be pretty hard to deny, right? Yeah, um, let's see. I have this damage on my vehicle, and I, that corresponds <laughs> with that damage on your vehicle. And I saw it happen, bro. Uh, anyway, so basically the suspect gets out of the vehicle, and they're having this argument. I, I didn't hit you. I don't know what the heck you're talking about, right? Who knows? This dude could be hopped up on drugs, alcohol, whatever, you know, and maybe that's also altering his perception of what actually occurred, the the bad guy that is, right? All right, so the man whose vehicle was struck, it says, uh, this, according to the article on TwinCities.com, said the suspect suddenly pulled out a gun and started shooting at him. It wasn't even like pull out a gun and like, hey, man, you better shut up or (laughs) or else. He just pulled out a gun and started shooting at him. Right. Apparently, the good guy in this instance had gotten out of the vehicle. That's what I'm thinking is implied here since uh, what it says next is that he was shot in the ankle and that he had to duck behind his own car. So he had to have been outside his vehicle most likely, I think, to duck behind it. Um, Unless he quickly exited his vehicle and tried to, I don't know, I don't know, one of those things. But it sounds like he's probably outside the vehicle, gets shot in the ankle, and then ducks behind his vehicle. He had a permit to carry his gun. Uh, assumed concealed, and he then returned fire at the suspect. does not say whether he struck the suspect. In fact, they have not found the suspect, although there was a female passenger in the vehicle, in the suspect's vehicle, and apparently she hopped in the driver's seat and then took off. All right? Quite a story. Now, the the yeah. good guy, you know, he... He was shot in the in the ankle. Uh, he was transported to hospital. He's going to be fine, you know. But uh, boy, this is another one of those situations where you're just sitting in a light, minding your own business, and next thing you know, you have a hit and run that then turns into a road rage, which then turns into a shooting, and you're having to duck behind your vehicle, draw out your weapon, and return fire. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, this is pretty crazy. Um, it, like, you know, obviously he hit his well. 
apparently he hit his car and it turns into like a road rage. And I, I know that the, the, um, initial, you know, reaction would be like, this person's taken off. I got to get there. I got to stop them. Right. Um, maybe the idea, you know, instead of stopping them, this guy obviously stops on his own, but instead of your goal being to stop them, try to get an, a, a, a look at the driver and the license plate, because if you can get those two things, unless the car's stolen or, you know, cold plated and they have a different plate on it. You, if, if you know who the driver is, if you can identify a driver and, and the, and the car, you can normally match it up. Um, but like, this kind of the reason why I thought this was an interesting story outside of like they get in this like gunfight, right? Um, is that I was just driving home the other day and a dude was driving so fast. He it was a two lane highway uh, or two, uh, four lanes, two on each side. And guy just comes up like he speed limit 70, he's going like 85, and he comes up right behind me. It's that night. And, uh, and all of a sudden he cuts over to this side and the guy that's in the fast lane, the passing lane sees this and apparently wants to slow the guy down because he's doesn't approve of this guy driving fast. So he slows down to my speed to kind of box this dude in. And I'm like, I'm not going to be part of this, right? Like I'm not going to, I don't want this cause, cause this guy's like right on this guy's tail. Um, so I start to slow down. And the guy who slows down to like try to block this guy that was going fast jams on his brakes. And I hear like all these skids. And then now they're in like this race down, like they're, this guy's cutting this guy off. They're like chasing each other. And I'm like, this is crazy, dude. Like they're putting all these people at risk. Um, and they're too far ahead of me for me to like, um, you know, to go up there and try to get the plate and call it in or anything. And it's, it's happening pretty quickly. And, uh, and he tries to swerve off the road to get to, to get it to an exit. And this guy cuts him off. And I'm just like, these, these are the kind of things that end in some sort of shooting or something, because yeah. it, you know, it's a road rage incident that you just can't let go and just say, dude, just go, just drive. You know what I mean? Like you it's, have it's to not any different than the, the fight at the garbage it, dumpster. Exactly. Absolutely. You have to be right, right? You you have to have the last word. You have to. You can't be the one that walks away because, you know, I, no one's going to disrespect me. And it's like you're you're fighting bro. over your own perceived honor. Ex- exactly. My honor has been dishonored. <laughs> right. And this guy like apparently thinks, okay, this guy's driving too fast. I don't like it. It's unsafe. So what, what am I going to do? What's the what's the the right thing? I'm going to jam on my brakes and try to cause an accident. Right. That'll teach him. Right. Like that'll teach yeah. him to be safe. And I'm going to swerve all over the freeway at 90 miles an hour and try to cut off, like, you know, uh, uh, lose this guy on a, on a off ramp and cut across the, uh, uh, you know, the median there. I'm like, how does that make sense? Like you're, you, you're supposedly concerned about safety, but you're, yeah. you're just as unsafe. So I don't know. It's just, sorry about the, the whole long story, but it, <laughs> it was like, I was thinking about this and I'm driving home. I'm like, that's probably going to end in some sort of fight. Dude's going to get beat up or someone's going to get, sh- someone's going to get hurt. Someone's going to get hurt. Like, yeah. absolutely. Right. Dude, I mean, we had quite the situation. I think last, last year, uh, just South of Denver on I-25. Uh, and I don't even know if they ever ended up catching the vehicle that, that did this, but apparently, um, Basically, you had two vehicles, right? Um, one vehicle that uh, one vehicle is behind the other one, and he's basically riding his tail. He's riding his bumper, right? So the vehicle in front brake checks him, 
mm-hmm. and the brake check causes the vehicle behind them to lose control and they go off the side of the of the freeway to the left and just it just happens to be at that moment at that place that where they went off is um the way the the interstate is there like there's it's an there's a there's an underpass okay like mm. you're 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 cruising along you're at ground level but there's this road that goes underneath that's kind of cut in to the hill right and uh they go off to the left and they launch off of the edge of this you know whatever and then they plummet and shoot into the side of the underpass on the other side like everybody in the vehicle killed uh-huh. Over some stupid little, you know, I oh, how dare you offend me and ride my tail and I'm gonna brake check you, and it yeah. killed like three three guys, um, th- three guys coming home from work that commuted together. Yeah, I'm not advocating for tailgating. In fact, it makes me just as mad as probably anybody. But uh, you could, we got we got to think. You know, we got to use our brains in these in these matters. Now, yeah. speaking of which, we started out with a story of a guy that got got hit and then run. And so he followed the other vehicle because I, I get that. I'd probably honestly do the same thing um, to a point until, it, you know, maybe they start running away at too high of a speed or it became unsafe. But, like, you're, you're wanting to get identification, license plate number, whatever, because, yeah, I mean, like, I, I think that's reasonable as long as you're not putting other people at risk. Mm-hmm. But the other risk that you assume is that, now that you are following this suspected hit and run driver or whatever that you know they may do something crazy right so anyway cleveland ohio 68 year old man grabbed his shotgun and scared off a burglar who broke into his home in the middle of the night the man told police he woke up at 2:30 a.m. thursday to loud noises that sounded like someone was breaking into his home the burglar used a screwdriver and hammer to pry open a kitchen window and climbed inside the home The man grabbed his shotgun and waited for the burglar at the top of the stairs. The burglar started walking up the stairs, and the man pointed the gun at him and said, I will shoot you. The burglar saw the man, ran back downstairs, and climbed out of the kitchen window. The man did not chase the burglar. He reported that his camera, cell phone, and car keys were stolen. The burglar left his tools on the front porch. Please collect those for evidence. Boom. Yeah. Pretty short simple sweet story um but there's one aspect about it uh, two aspects that i really like about it number one it says the man grabbed a shotgun and waited at the top of his stairs now i would say general as a general rule it's probably not best practice to just stand at the top of the stairs silhouetted against the back wall or whatever it is whatever you know, i don't know what what the dude's house looked like and just stand there with a the shotgun you know Ideally, you would kind of like take up some sort of cover or something, you know, around the doorway or something. Or if you were, at, if if you have a hallway at the end of the stairs and you're kind of back from that, from the stairs to where you're kind of using the stairs themselves as sort of like, you're, you're basically peering over the edge of the stairs, right? I could see that being a technique as well, okay? Um, but, but. Regardless, I don't know exactly what this did do or this dude did, but he didn't go in search of the intruder. That's the key. And what I would say in addition to that is that use your home in the best way that you know how where it it you you have the advantage. You know how your home is laid out. You know where you are going to force 
bad guys to come into some sort of fatal funnel, right? Where you've got cover and they're caught in the open. And if they present a threat, then you have the utmost advantage in the situation, right? And the second thing is, is that when he scared the bad guy away, the intruder, he didn't go after him, not even in the mm-hmm. slightest, according to the story. He just right. stayed right there. Okay, cool. Dude left, call 911, make the report. This and this and this were gone or stolen. And like that, that this is about as textbook a perfect home invasion defense story that we could just about cover on the podcast. It's, it's yeah. perfect. I agree. Uh, yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't really add anything um, other than, you know, um, I, I, so I'm thinking about this old guy and, you know, he's probably like, I'm fed up with this stuff, you know, <laughs> and like, if you come up here, I'm going to shoot you. And like, it, but he's, he's like co- coherent enough to like, no, I'm not going to risk my life to go chase after some young guy who wants to break into my house over a cell phone. I'm not going to do that. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like that old wisdom that kind of comes and you're like, with age comes wisdom. You know what I mean? And I, I kind of <laughs> like that. Um, and not to say, you know, he didn't have the right to we're not talking about rights here. We're just talking about what he did and how he handled it. And it it also goes to show that, you know, not every time a gun uh, is used to save a life or to save uh, somebody from being injured, does it mean that that person has to shoot the person or shot the person? So all these statistics of like, you know, how do guns prevent crimes? Like we, we, we talked about and how do they dissuade and dispel people from committing crimes? I mean, th- there's a, there's an un kind of reported uh, element of that in situations like this where no shots are fired. There's no statistic. Yeah. There's no, you know, way to track these cases. There's, they're not doing that other than like John Lott and, you know, you and I manually checking stories, but, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I think it was a really awesome story. I think, Succinct, succinct had a, a, some good, good uh, evidence and, and facts, and you know, clean as it gets. And from Did, Cleveland, you're you're giving the story some praise. Apparently, I was praising <laughs> the man. You know, it wasn't a terribly written story, but I will. If I had a critique about the story, it would be the image used with the story. This story, by the way, is on Cleveland.com, uh, and it's it's one of those things where it's like. Well, crap, we, we always got to have a photo with, with a news story. Always got to have a photo. And they don't have a photo for this particular story. So, oh, just throw up a picture of a generic police car. <laughs> and we're talking about a home invasion, you know? Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a fantastic example of somebody defending their home. As you said, didn't have to fire a shot. And he just did everything correctly. So... This this is what this is the example we want to see. That's why I saved it for last. Well, almost last. We have one more bonus story here. Let's move to that now. But uh, boy, the, I just I just love that story. There's like yeah. literally almost nothing we could we could say wrong about it. So very 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 good. Most stories, you know, we say, hey, this is a great story. It turned out the right way. Everybody's happy. You know, well maybe the bad guy's not happy, but you know, but you know what I mean. But well, there's still this thing or this thing that we could kind of pick on. You know. Not to judge anybody necessarily because you never know truly exactly what you're going to do. And we also can't perfectly plan for every possible scenario, right? But uh, this one just uh, just hit every single point that are big points with us here at the Concealed Carry Podcast. 
ABC7KSWO.com reports Lawton, Oklahoma, the, so the Lawton Police Department investigated a home invasion that led to a shooting overnight. It says here, police say the victim told them he was in his home on Northwest Thornbury Drive nor- shortly before 4 a.m. when he spotted someone else inside and then noticed his door had been kicked in. That's when authorities say the two fired shots at each other and the victim was shot. It's not clear if the other person, the bad guy, was hurt. The victim was taken to the hospital to be treated and appears that he's going to be okay. Tell us, Matthew, uh, why did you include this story today? Because this this was definitely one of those that you uh, threw in there. Yeah, I threw it in just basically to kind of undermine or, or, or remind everybody that we're not invincible. Um, the gun is a tool. It's not a shield. It's not, it's, it, it you know, we talk about pr- the gun being able to use to prevent crime and, and things and dissuade crime and, and give you a fighting chance. But, but ultimately we, we are just as human as the person that's attacking us and we have the same vulnerabilities. And, and, and so I think in this kind of situation, we look at it and we say, um, did the guy have the right to go into his house and confront whoever he thought was in there? Yeah. You know, he definitely had the right. Was it the right choice? I don't know. You know, you'd have to ask him and say, would you have done things differently based on the outcome? Yeah. I think he probably would have. Um, If he would have gone in there and not gone shot and we would have asked him, Hey, would you have done anything different? He probably said, no, I I would have done the same thing. Right. Cause the outcome was favorable. Um, so I think we look at stories like this and, and kind of apply it to our own selves and say, you know, what is my life worth? What, what is it? What, what should I be getting involved in? And no, whenever, you know, you're using the, the gun in self-defense of lethal or for forces, lethal or likely to cause you great bodily harm. And that could be the result even if you use your firearm, right? Yep. So we kind of sometimes think like, okay, I'm going to use my gun to stop the lethal, you know, deadly force against me, but it might not, you know, and we have to be prepared for that. And so I'm not, like I said, I'm not questioning this guy. He did what he wanted to do. Um, But think about, Think about your your own mortality and like kind of like we were talking about before, like kind of the old age wisdom of this guy saying, you know, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. And so maybe he could have just said, hey, my door is busted in. I'm not going to go in there. I have a gun, but I'm not going to go in there and start searching because what if somebody is in there and they have a gun? Well, that's what happened. And he ends up getting shot. Yep. So. Yep. You, you nailed it. You got it. <laughs> yep. So. um this is a reality that I've discussed before, and in fact, it's a featured point in uh, the presentation that I've done. Uh, I did a presentation earlier this year at the United States uh, Concealed Carry Association's Concealed Carry Expo, uh, where I highlighted, uh, I called it the nine myths of uh, about gunfights, busted by statistical analysis of actual gunfights, you know, meaning that, uh, what we did is we, and Matthew helped me with this some, and I still got to finish compiling data And every week we add more stories and I, I'm falling behind on getting some of these stories added into my data set. But basically we, we've tried to, as best we can to pull different data points from all the different justified save stories that we've shared on the podcast. 
which now amount to hundreds, perhaps even over, uh, I suspect there's probably over a thousand now, even, I don't know. Um, and, uh, plus I've read probably many, many hundreds other stories that haven't necessarily been on the podcast. So one of the critical data points that we were collecting from stories is in how many instances is the good guy, you know, in this, in the story wounded or injured or killed, um, by the bad guy. Right. So we have justified safe stories and I'll tell you, it's like 20 or 20, I, I can't remember the exact number. Um, plus it changes a little bit as I add more data to it. Um, it's been a while since I looked at it. 20 to 25% of the time, I want to say, I think that's about the right number. Uh, good guy in justified save story in these news stories like we cover gets injured somehow or in some way, okay, mm-hmm. in these gunfights. So the reality is that in a substantial amount of the time, like when we have to defend ourselves with a gun, uh, and sometimes it's because we are using the gun re- in response to an injury that's already occurred to us. Mm-hmm. But but that the point was to simply measure how many times does good guy get hurt when he, you know, ends up having to use a gun in self-defense. And it's it's fairly often. So this is this is the reality. And that's why you shared the story today is to make it clear that yeah, it's not this magic shield we ha- carry this gun with us and nothing bad's going to happen to us. In fact, quite quite the contrary. Something we're probably using the gun because something bad happens to us. And then sometimes once that gun comes out, we also get hurt. Okay. So because a gunfight ensues. All right. Mm -hmm. Who's going to win that gunfight? Well, he who is best prepared, best trained, most ready, and also probably most lucky or blessed, whichever way you want to think about it. All right. I always say there's no luck, right? Yeah. (laughs) All righty. So that is a wrap for today's uh, news episode of the podcast. Uh, thanks everyone joining us for this episode. And a reminder that today's episode was sponsored and brought to you by concealedcarry.com's adhesive reactive targets. High contrast peel and stick targets. Great, great targets. Seriously, they're really great quality and they are uh very, very reasonably priced. You can check out our whole lineup of targets we have, uh, and we're, we're, we've added to the selection. We intend to probably add even more to the selection. So go check them out at concealedcarry.com forward slash CC targets for concealed carry targets. And they're not necessarily like intended for concealed carry, but they're the concealedcarry.com targets, right? <laughs> and then also, uh, Pig Lube is our other sponsor today. And you, I'll tell you, you, you if you haven't tried Pig Lube, you got to try it. And by the way, the name comes from the, the, the makers, the creators of Pig Lube just really like pigs, <laughs> meaning <laughs> pigs to eat. They love bacon. They love ham. They love sausage. They love all things pork. And uh, they actually make a uh, bacon-scented, bacon-grease-scented version of their pig lube uh for kicks and giggles it's fun um if you like the smell of bacon i think you'll like pig lube (laughs) but you can (laughs) but you can also get the unscented variety most of the time i use the unscented uh varieties in my guns um so yeah great stuff great product check it out at concealedcarry.com forward slash pig lube so we're gonna wrap it up there 
Once again, thanks to everyone. Thank you, Matthew, for being part of this. Oh, I, I did want to add real quick before I go, the show notes for today's episode, always available with all these news stories we've talked about. And sometimes we've been actually adding the last episode or two some bonus stories, meaning stories that maybe didn't make the cut for the actual podcast. And so we're just adding those in a category of extra stories. And you can check all that out. All the show notes, sponsors, all that stuff, plus anything else mentioned. In fact, today I will throw into into the in, into the show notes. I mentioned Greg Elifritz and his article about uh, open carry, which was called "Friends Don't Let Friends Open Carry." I really think it's a really good article, and I think you should go read it. I'm going to put that in also the show notes. Um, and uh, let's see. I also mentioned the vehicle firearm tactics course. We'll we'll throw that link in there as well, so it's easy for you to find. Show notes available at concealedcarry.com forward slash episode 259. All right. So with that, we're going to let you go. Matthew, thanks again. Uh, Those uh, viewing on Facebook, we are going to resume here in, I don't know, 15 minutes or something like that. And we're going to do tomorrow's episode and we're going to break down this incident that happened in Abilene, Texas and see where that discussion leads us. So Matthew, we'll connect again here shortly. Thanks for everything you do, bud. Thank you, sir. Thank you to uh, all those people that will listen and put up with us. (laughs) (laughs) So with that, a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care, everyone. that laws vary from place to place and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws but things could be different where you live or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.